it gives me the most incredible pleasure ever to be sat in UK hospitality royalty, <laughs> I think. <laughs> so with me, I have got Kate Nichols. No pressure there. <laughs> I've got to live up to that. Always like a big start. Yeah. Always like a big start. Um, so yeah, so I think actually, um, you know, something I've thought about you when, when we always meet, I think you know, you've got such a huge weight on your shoulders and responsibility in terms of being this, you know, mouthpiece and champion and advocate of our industry and just never-endingly, unceasingly knocking on the, the door of media and government to, to, to give us that voice and place at the top table. I'd, I'd prefer to see it as a privilege <laughs> and an honour yes. um, rather than a weight and a privilege. I don't feel sort of weighed down. Um <laughs> It really is. I mean, it's such a fantastic industry and I'm so passionate about it. And I've worked in it 25, just over 25 years. Mm -hmm. And it's given me a fantastic career and opportunity. So I'm passionate about giving back and making sure it gets the recognition it deserves. And crucially, it's not just the sector and some amorphous mass or big business. It's the people who work in it. So you've got just over 3 million people work in our sector and they are fantastic. And they're the backbone of our industry. And they deserve some respect and they just deserve credit for what they do because without them the British economy grinds to a halt effectively Um, not just because of the jobs we create and the value we bring but you know the city of London wouldn't function and get very far if it didn't have its early morning cup of coffee or its lunch or its dinner or its drinks in the evening that's what gives us our social capital so I, I sort of see it as a bit of a crusade yeah and a movement rather than a sort of job. Yeah, I mean, you can see that. And and I think a lot of us are just kind of looking in awe to, you know, sort of send you off to 10 down street to say, we're right behind you. you yeah, know? But, but, but that's what gives me the power because yeah. I'm not just one person. I have mm. a team, obviously, at UK Hospitality, yeah. but we have 700 member companies. Mm-hmm. So that's who I'm representing yeah. and that's who's standing behind me. That's what gives me the power when I talk to government, actually, yeah. is for me to say, it's not just me mm-hmm. saying this. This is the voice of the or the collective wisdom of all of these fantastic CEOs mm-hmm. And all the people within it. And when we're talking about employment issues, which so often we are at the moment with government, then it is about the rights, obligations, responsibilities that you have towards three million people who work in the sector. Um, And that's where, you know, the, the leverage we've had and the profile we've been able to generate since we came together as UK Hospitality as one voice comes from the fact that you've got everybody in the industry in the same place. So, you know, government previously has always been able to say to one or other of the bodies, well, you don't represent this big company or you don't represent that um, or you're missing hotels or you're missing restaurants. Having everybody across the whole breadth of hospitality Mm -hmm. and not having any of the big companies sitting outside the tent is immeasurably powerful. And that's what we've been able to say to those bigger companies is you've really got to be with us because otherwise we can't deliver. Um, But more importantly, government really listens to the voice of independent small businesses. Mm -hmm. They're the powerful ones and 80% of our membership and 80% of the sector is a small business. Mm -hmm. So it's not just saying Hilton, Whitbread, Mitchells and Butler, Casual Dining Group, Merlin. It's also saying and 70,000 independent outlets that go along with it. And... How many businesses, so if you've got 700 members right now, Mm. what about the rest that haven't joined? What's wrong with them? We need to get them to join. Well, absolutely. (laughs) You know, we have got, if you look at the the main core components of hospitality in terms of pubs, um, restaurants, branded restaurants, I suppose, rather than independent branded restaurants and hotels, Mm -hmm. we've got 90%. So Great. to those other 10%, they need to join, they need to get behind us and they yeah. need to support what we're doing. Yeah. It's the long tail of independence mm. that we've also got behind that that yeah. we need to reach out to. So it's a work in progress mm. um, and it doesn't stop, but hopefully success breeds success. And the more we can show that we're delivering really good value because we're focusing on the commercial issues that matter, mm-hmm. we're having some successes at the budget in the Brexit negotiations with number 10, mm-hmm. we're getting noticed, then hopefully the other businesses will see the value you of being part of it yeah. and next year because we can only do so much at one time next year we'll also be developing membership services mm. so whether that's going and saying okay here's your template for diversity and inclusivity right. here's what you can buy into for recycling and waste management and sustainability here's the guidance on 
um, trial shifts mm-hmm. and national living wage enforcement, giving somebody something back, tangible, that says this is what you get for being a member, yeah. um, adds to that value. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, I think that'd be really good. And in terms of you then yourself, you know, if we go back a bit. So mm. we're talking about history earlier mm. on and, and being a historian and all these things. So how did you get here and, and how did you decide this was the calling in life? Like so many people in our sector, I fell into it by uh-huh. accident. So I, I was a frustrated journalist. When I graduated, I had it all mapped out. Mm-hmm. It's the only time in my life I've ever had a plan was when I was about to graduate. I was going to be a journalist. I was going to go back home to Durham, going to work for the Newcastle Journal where I'd done all my work experience, etc. Mm-hmm. And I had a traineeship, um, a year's traineeship, doing your apprenticeship, yeah. mapped out and planned for me. And ac- I was accepted. And I graduated the f- 91 which was a graduate recession, they cancelled all the traineeships and said, go away and get one year's worth of relevant experience Mm. and come back and we'll hold your place open. Um, And I happened to see a job as a researcher in the European Parliament that was only for a year Mm. um, and I never went back. Um, So I I sort of fell into politics and uh, worked in the European Parliament and the House of Commons simultaneously um, and did a lot of shuttling around between Brussels, Strasbourg and London but had three years of really good grounding in politics and realised that's what I really enjoyed. Um, I was then working in Europe on a whole load of food regulations. They were looking at uh, additives in food, colourings, flavourings, all those kind of things that were going to ban e-numbers. And the European proposals would have stopped us having pink sausages green beans and most importantly would have banned the prawn cocktail crisp so my biggest claim to fame (laughs) is that i saved the prawn cocktail crisp and i also thank you by the way (laughs) (laughs) more importantly caramel in beer and icing glass were two of the ones that were also going to be banned at which point i was lobbied by virtually all of the brewing sector in the uk who came across because i was writing the report um and that's when whitbread decided that they would recruit me to be in-house government relations and so that's how i fell into hospitality so at the age of 24 i was with whitbread Mm -hmm. advising the various boards Mm -hmm. on all the different hospitality issues and regulations so i then combined my two passions Uh Politics prawn and hospitality, crisps. prawn cocktail crisps, <laughs> Prosecco. Um, it, all, it all has to rhyme with P um, or start with P. Um, and that's when I started working in hospitality and I, n- I never left hospitality. So I've then been fortunate enough to do politics and hospitality mm-hmm. for the, the last 20 years. And what about Whitbread then? How, how did you find that? Because it's a very different beast <clears throat> then, I suppose, than, than, than it is now. Yeah, well, that was back when... They were primarily a brewer, mm-hmm. so they had a large pub estate. They had the brewery um, in Chiswell Street. In Chiswell still, Street, still I was running. the the brewery wasn't running, but that's where head office was. Got it. So okay. that big clock you see when you walk in mm-hmm. underneath the arch, my office was just above that, oh. um, and it was run by Peter Jarvis and Michael Angus. Um, hotels were just starting, so David Thomas was there mm-hmm. running Marriott. Um, as I left, Premier Inn was just really taking off. Mm-hmm. Costa had just been established. So it was really at the infancy of it being a hospitality business. So yeah. I was there at that transformational stage. Yeah. Um, and my job was to interpret government regulations and changes in legislation mm-hmm. and provide the advice to each of the divisional boards so that we could collate our information and feed it back to government. Quite a lot of responsibility and seniority at that age as well, no? Yeah, Absolutely, which is probably why I've never really had... I mean, uh, politics, hospitality and brewing and um, public affairs agencies, Mm -hmm. they're all very heavily male-dominated. Right. And I think that it just gave me... I I was fortunate enough that my first boss at Whitbread was a fantastic champion, Simon Ward. He was a brilliant boss and an informal mentor. It just gave me the confidence that as long as you know what you're talking about you have as much right as anybody else to be explaining. And if you are the expert, people respect you for your expertise. Mm -hmm. So I've never really found that anything like that's held me back. Oh, good. (laughs) Should be, should be. And then from there then, from from Whitbread, what was the next step? I went into public affairs agency. Uh So I was a director of the largest independent public affairs agency and I set up their um, retail, hospitality and social division and also competition because I'd done a lot of mergers and acquisitions at Whitbread. Um, And 
after three years of that, realised that I was the largest fee earner for the group and that therefore I should just do it myself. Great. Um, so I set up my own business, which allowed me then, that's when I started working, that was 20, just about 20 years ago, when I started working with ALMR. They were mm. one of my clients for the first time. But it also allowed me to ma- manage work and family. Mm. Uh, and that was the deliberate decision, was to go, al- go it alone, set up my own agency yeah. so that I could manage the kids at the same time. Yes. Well, I think that was the, the dream for me, starting my own business as well. I was thinking, yeah, I'll have a bit more time at home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not so much. <laughs> doesn't quite work that way when you think about no. it. So somebody asked me um, the other week when we were, it was a conversation similar to this about diversity and inclusivity and sort of maternity leave. And I, I think I had three weeks. Great, really? But, but I mean, I was then at home. Yeah. So it's just the fact of, you know, that scary thought as a freelancer, when's your next piece of work going in? And I was fortunate that most of my work could be done either monitoring what was mm. going on in Parliament, which can be done out of hours, yeah. or sitting writing strategic campaign plans. So I was not sure. doing the execution. I was doing the strategy yeah. and, and telling somebody else how to manage it. Yeah. Um, you can do it. Yeah, in and around times, it, it's it's more flexible than people think. Well, we had um, with Lizzie Barber from uh, Cabana mm. and Hashi and, and Hush and all that one other week, and she's pregnant at the moment. And we were sort of joking about how much time you know Jamie, who's our boss, yes. but also our brother, uh, would give her off. So we're kind of yeah going back and forth, saying you're long weekend maybe or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See how it goes. They're adaptable. You can carry them with, carry them around with you. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was Frank and Knowles who sort of took me to one side when I was pregnant yeah. and just sort of said, "Look, you can make it work, and you yeah. have to be quite bolshy about it, and you can bring them with you, and mm. just tell people that that's that's if they want your advice again back to your expertise. If they want your advice, yeah. this is." how it works and this is what it comes with yeah. um, and just having that open up front conversation yeah definitely and I don't think it makes you any better or worse you're just going like this it's funny I've um, been speaking to a few people like, sort of lifestyle coachy type mm. people and they've been really good sort of you know giving advice in terms of say what you need you know you say look I need this yeah. if that doesn't suit you that's, that's fine. fine yeah exactly fine. I think it's a good piece of advice yeah. to just and also it's sort of um one of my mottos that I have at work um, that I try and push with the team is done is better than perfect. Mm-hmm. And again, it's that sort of principle of you can't do everything perfectly. Yes. So you have to accept that you're going to compromise. It's not in one thing or the other. Mm-hmm. You compromise across everything. Yeah. And compromise is okay. Yeah. And not being perfect to everything is okay. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's a few things on that, actually, that, that, that's really good. When I worked at lastminute.com as a wee, a wee boy, um, Brent and Martha were there and um, Brent always used to just be like just get the page up mm. you know it will never be perfect yeah. the site will never be perfect just get it up we'll see what the bugs are we'll fix it we'll keep you know it's that whole kind of thing Yeah. and and also you know for anyone it, it's just like doubling down on your strengths and just realising what your weaknesses are as yeah. well you know so if you've got that self-awareness that, that's quite a good thing to quite humble thing yeah. and a vulnerable thing yeah. which is quite good to show in yeah. management or leadership or whatever and just say I'm not good at that yeah. you know yeah and and also you know if you know what you're good at play to your strengths yeah. and then recruit people who are better than you yeah. in the areas that either you don't like doing mm-hmm. or you're not very good at you know yeah. sort of that was one of the things that that I found when I took over as chief executive for ALMR you know we'd always had that the chief executive mm-hmm. was the commercial one and the deputy was the person who looked after public affairs mm-hmm. now there's no point at all in me stopping doing public affairs yeah. That's where people need me as the outward face. And it's yeah. the same with UK hospitality. So mm-hmm. it's create it's backfilling and creating the people, as I say, who are better than you at the things you don't like doing. Yeah. And then just when you were talking about the freelancing thing, it's yeah. funny, I've been talking a lot to other agency owners like Mr. Mark Stretton and yeah. um, Mr. Wingett and all these people. And, um, you know, that whole sort of freelance type thing, it is a bit feast or famine though, isn't it? Because you've either got too much work or you're worrying that you don't have enough work yeah. and there's no middle. No, there isn't a middle comfortable ground. <laughs> no. But then I guess that's that's what we all probably like. Yes. You know, if you're going to do that, you are, it's the same in hospitality. We clearly do it and set up on our own because we're more entrepreneurial, because yeah. we're, I would argue, a bit more creative. 
Some might say it's just yeah. that we're a bit bolshy and too difficult to be managed. Yes. Um, we don't fit into that corporate <laughs> mold. <laughs> so we create a mold for ourselves. Yeah. So we probably quite like that. Yes. Um, but I do have, I had that anxiety a lot of, I daren't turn this job down because I might not get another one or I might get a reputation of being the flaky person who doesn't deliver. Yeah. So yeah, you, you are a, a little bit feast or famine. <laughs> It's a tricky one. Um, so then starting to work with ALMR, so back yeah. in the day, was Peter Peter Martin involved at some point? Uh, Peter Martin was yeah. vice, president, vice president and he helped to set up ALMR 1992. Uh-huh. So it was Peter Martin and Peter Salisolia had the bright idea that uh-huh. at that time you didn't have a trade body that represented the new breed of entrepreneurial pub operators. So it was post-beer orders mm-hmm. um, and the beer orders meant that the, the pub, the breweries had to sell their pubs. Yeah. And you could only be a member of the Brewers Society, as it was then, if you were a brewer. Okay. So you suddenly had these groups of people who had 20 pubs. There was small local mm-hmm. FLVAs for single-site operators, yeah. but there was nobody representing the multiples. Um, and that was the gap in the market they spotted. And Peter Martin helped to create ALMR and is still involved as one of our vice presidents today and is a huge giver of his time and a sure. champion of the sector to make sure we've got the best trade representation we can. Yeah, I always think of him as the John Peel of the industry sort of thing. Yeah, you know, absolutely. That kinda, you know, so, and also I think, uh, I, I saw a picture of Richard Branson the other day and I thought, he's, he's actually stealing Peter's look. He's kind of, <laughs> you know, he's kind of going across that way. I was like, yeah. Oh, well, at this time of year, right, yeah. you always look at the Coca-Cola bottles and think, oh, oh, there we him. go. There's Peter's look. He's <laughs> been modelling again. Yeah, definitely. Um, so then, in terms of LMR then, I mean, I first came across it, I guess... I'd have been at Yosushi, I think. So, oh, yeah, okay. so I was the uh, head of marketing there, worked with Robin and, and all that. And so that was when I was first kind of knowing about it and mm. maybe went to a few mm. kind of the, the conferences, this and that. Christmas lunch, mm. um, which is coming up, obviously. Yeah. Um, so I've been lucky enough to, to be at a few of those. But, um, yeah, so what kind of happened? So once you joined, joined and yeah. got part of it. What? Yeah, so the first 10 years of ALMR's life, it didn't really do much campaigning and lobbying. Mm-hmm. And I did a few little bits and pieces with it, sort of 98, 99, 2000, um, around drink driving, essentially. Okay. Um, and it was only really when we got to 10 years in 2002 mm-hmm. that they decided they really needed to focus much more. And it was a licensing reform that really gave the impetus for having a proper campaigning arm and public mm-hmm. affairs arm. Um, and that's when I... I started to get properly involved and it stopped being more about networking and events and became more serious and grown up. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the time then we, as a strategy, we were focused on small managed pub operators. We decided we would move away from that and we would focus on being the voice for the pub operator. Mm -hmm. We rapidly recruited Mitchells and Butler, Weatherspoons, those big operators Mm -hmm. and then merged with Beda, so we then got the late night so the next logical step which is probably when you got involved or heard about it was okay so you've got the late night drinking and you've got the drinking venues Mm -hmm. pubs are moving more towards food anyway the logical step next step is casual dining which was in its infancy i think people forget how young the casual dining revolution on the high street is yeah and what what would you say would be the day i don't know i would say about 2008 yeah oh really okay yeah i mean you had more mature brands so you know cafe rouge bella that was they were um in my whitbread days so you know and and beef eater i think you know you had a lot of them that came out of the pub sector yeah but if you're really talking about the casual dining revolution on the high street i think it was the crash in around Mm 2008-9 you had the first big retail recession and you had the mary porter's review of the high street of who Mm. was going to save the high street Mm -hmm. a lot of those companies were then able to get into those sites. So those planning permissions were opened up. Um, You know, my hometown of of Ealing, a lot of the casual diners are in old retail outlets. So they would have been A1 at the time. And it's local authorities who then said, okay, you can turn this into an Itsu or a Pret or a Wagamama. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Wagamama's an old brand, but for a lot of the time it had two sites. Yeah, it it, it didn't explode initially. And even Pret was the same. I mean... I think it was, you know, three or four years before the second even opened yeah. after, you know, yeah. Victoria Street. So, so I would say you're looking at about 2008, eight nine yeah. that you start that process and it's it's quite a revolution. That was our Britpop yeah. sort of era. 
<laughs> yep. So, so uh, yeah. Well, it's getting getting tough out there now, right? It is. Yeah. It is. It's tough on the high street, and you know that's what when we're talking to government, they sort of go, "Well, it's okay. Last time we had this crisis on the high street, and we lost Woolworths and Wittards and all of that." Um, Casual dining stepped in to save the high street. Well, yeah. casual dining is actually suffering as much, if not more, than retail. We're not able to save anybody else other than ourselves. Yeah. So unless government steps in, yeah. you're going to see quite a, a crash on the high street. And it's going to have an impact on consumers. Either they're going to have empty shops mm-hmm. or they're going to have the sort of charity shops, that you know, the, 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 the mix of charity shops and betting shops that they categorise as being an unhealthy high street, mm. um, or consumers are going to pay for it in higher prices. Yeah, I, I, I think there's, it, there's, it's almost been attacked in all angles, right? Because you've got the disruptors and the last mile delivery and all that yeah. stuff that's disrupting it. Technology, you know, online delivery, all that on top, that then people aren't going out into the high street. Then you've got, the employee stuff's going to get tough. The yeah. rates are tough, you know. So, yeah, it's it's getting really tough out there. So, yeah. we, I mean, we'll delve into that in a wee sec. But the other thing, just where we're on LMR stuff, um, what were the sort of changes you saw just during that time as well? In the industry or yeah. in LMR? Yeah. In, 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 the, in the industry. In, yeah. I think it was that blurring of the distinctions between the subsectors. So when yeah. I started, you know... People had an idea of what a restaurant was. It was yeah. tablecloths, it was silver service, or it was waitress service. Mm-hmm. Pubs were primarily about beer and were smoky. Yeah. Uh, late night was where you went when you couldn't get a drink anywhere else, and you only went there because you wanted to continue drinking. Yeah. And it's that hybridization. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I hate it as a phrase, but operators sweating the asset and making it different things to different customers at different times of the day that's the biggest change i think yeah um and you know it's one of the things that frustrates me that the the industry doesn't get the recognition it deserves for being as innovative and dynamic it's constantly reinventing itself yeah and it's reinventing itself more quickly than ever before because consumer taste is changing so Mm -hmm. much more quickly and that's driven largely by social media as well so we're better informed consumers we're asking for more we're open to more influences and the industry's always gone through cycles but those cycles are getting faster and faster and faster yeah i mean i, th- I think it really kind of has to and i think in terms of that sort of sweating the asset thing yeah. and, and all the rest of it boy is it the number one brief that we get from everyone is how can i be busy between you know 3 yeah. p.m and 6 p.m and it's like there's no diamond bullet or you know anything or silver bullet or anything like that no. i mean it's no. hard because people are at work a lot of the time. You know, how can I be busy at that time on a Tuesday? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, tricky but, one. you know, people are using those assets differently and being a bit more creative. But, you know, when you talk to government about productivity, which is what we've been talking to them about, that's their big mantra. How do you improve productivity? And they sort of beat the industry up because it's an, a low productivity sector, which mm-hmm. it's bound to be because it's labour intensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one of the ministers said to me, who's supposed to be quite well informed about this, you know, French restaurants are so much more productive than British restaurants. Okay, well, we could be just as productive. French restaurants close in that dead part of the day. They don't open for breakfast. Mm -hmm. They'll open for lunch and they close in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. We could be equally productive if we closed our restaurants, but that's not what the consumer wants. And that's not what the government policy is to drive it. And equally, you'd create unemployment. So it's that catch-22 that Mm -hmm. government doesn't really get. So what are they just saying hours traded versus size of stuff? Versus, Revenue yeah. and hours and labour hours. Oh. So it's the same metric that's used for a factory to demonstrate how productive you are. So obviously if you automate a factory or what yeah. Amazon automates its warehouse picking and distribution, reduces the number mm. of staff, its productivity improves. But you yeah. can't do that in, in our sector or yeah. you can't without sacrificing something. So you can't turn around to the Ritz and say, you could be so much more productive if you didn't have 40 people yeah. serving afternoon tea. Well, yeah, but the kind of customer that's at the Ritz demands that certain level of service. And, yeah. you know, if you think back, so going back to what's what's changed in the industry, when I started working at Whitbread, we were just in that first wave of female-friendly bars. So all bar one right. and um, all of those kind of things. How are we going to do that? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we realised in order to make it more female friendly was that you didn't always have to queue at the bar. You Mm -hmm. could sit, you could have a table service. 
all of that is adding additional cost and additional headcount. Yeah. You don't want to return back to having to queue at a bar. I'm not sure the customer would go for it necessarily. It feels... Oof, that's a big one. I mean, it feels like you're commoditizing what's done, which is not right. I don't know if it's a... F- I don't mean fair, but I don't know if it's a representative summer formula, right? It, it's not... A- <laughs> It's not a good way of mod- of uh, measuring, measuring. Yeah. and valuing yeah. um, a modern economy. And yeah. that's part of the problem. So time and time again, what you come up against is that they, they just don't get our sector. Mm. Um, or people say that they don't value it and that the, you know, the work is considered to be low skill because it's all these outdated assumptions that are placed mm. upon it. So whether it's the business rates that are looking at bricks and mortar versus value in the business and yeah. a tax on the business or it's this measure of productivity, it's just a 21st century economy being measured against 19th century definitions. So, you know, a lot of the notions that civil servants have are around nine to five, clocking in, clocking out. It works for that kind of sector. It doesn't work for hours. Um, And that's why it suddenly becomes to be seen to be low value when it's not. No, definitely. God, that's quite a big one, actually. That's going yeah. to be turning Sorry. over in my mind. As well. yeah. <laughs> this that is has... supposed to be a little light chat, <laughs> No, 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 it? it's good, though, because I don't, I don't realise these things. You know, if they are measuring it in pounds, shillings and pence, but actually you're about, yeah. I don't know, velocity, it's completely different. Yeah, you know? and that's why I always say our role is we're the figure of eight. So you've yeah. got information flowing through from politicians to the industry mm-hmm. and back again. And our bit is the critical bit in the middle that does the simultaneous translation so you can turn it into something that's understandable because it's you know comes out of government and it's Mandarin and it, it needs to be t- translated into something commercial. Yeah. A- and that's where we're adding value and making sure that both sides understand and can have an actual conversation and dialogue yeah. rather than just shouting at each other. Yeah. And also, it's quite interesting, I think, in terms of the demographic, potentially, a lot of people who are making these judgments in government, for example, in the media, probably wouldn't eat, maybe, and some of the people that we represent, you know, so there's a complete class issue as well potentially too yes which is tough to try and get that across yeah and and obviously no disrespect to any of them but usually if you're working in the media or you're in politics or you're Mm. in the civil service you're usually at a certain level standard of education you probably have only ever thought of our industry as a a summer job um if you've thought of it at all yeah yeah so then from there there's the new birth, the, the, the butterfly caterpillar analogy. Um, so UK hospitality mm. happened. Mm. And thinking about it, you've you've got like a figure of eight thing going on, have you, within the logo? Yeah, slightly. There you go. Yeah. yeah nicely Try, done. Trying to. Nicely trying done. to capture yeah. that. So that was just then seeing that the sort of boat that everyone was in was maybe getting a bit too creaky and a bit too big that you needed a new platform. Well, it was... Both boards wanted us to try and be more collaborative. So you had BHA that was hotels, contract catering, fine dining, ALMR that was eating and drinking out more broadly um, and often found ourselves competing for share of voice or competing for space around the government's table. Um, And the breakthrough really came when George Osborne pulled a rabbit out of a hat and announced National Living Wage, where the two boards said, can we work together on a joint piece of research to look at what it means across the industry? Mm -hmm. Um, And we did that, and it had an impact. And we could see that going in jointly and lobbying together as one bit for the industry meant that we got to the top table, we were meeting the Chancellor, they were listening to what we were saying, Mm -hmm. and we were changing government policy. So um, probably about this time last year, they sat down and thought about how they could do it more effectively on a longer-term basis and Mm -hmm. actually realised the issues were identical. There was no point in discussing a a memorandum of understanding as to how to cooperate. We should just merge and create one body. Um, So it's been quite a year. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's fabulous. And then a big celebration soon um, at the Christmas lunch. Yes. So that always feels good. Well, it's... It's. I think it's a unique industry event because yeah. it's the only industry event that is explicitly about celebrating our industry mm-hmm. for the breadth that we represent. 
it's not a big speech session. It's not a big presentation. It is an end of term celebration mm -hmm. and it has that feel about it. And I think that's what people like. So you can guarantee you're going to catch up with a whole load of friends. You're going to feel good about what we're doing. And, and at times like this, where it is difficult coming together mm -hmm. and celebrating the good matters. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also about giving the value that we know we all have yeah. but expressing that loudly with 1300 people is that how many it is yeah Jeez. it's it's the biggest industry event yeah and any clues on the the star oh i can't year? tell you God, i always love to know you. always love to know so in the past though you've had uh, dara o'brien jimmy carr giles brandreth ed ed, yes, ed burn yeah oh i mean it is and I, and I think this year as well i think it will feel like it'll be a bigger celebration because A, it's closer to Christmas than it's ever mm. been, I think. Mm. And then the second thing is, I think that, I think there'll be a lot of relieved people in the room. And, so and, we've and, got and through the year. Just have got through the year. It's been a tough year. It has been really hard. You know, and really I think hard. everyone deserves that. And and at the time, when it is hard, that's when you really get the value of uh, a membership organisation yeah. because you don't feel that you're alone. You mm. can talk to somebody else who's going through it. You can talk to somebody who might be able to help you. Mm -hmm. um, and as you say, you can, you can come together. And we've always deliberately chosen it the last Thursday before Christmas. Mm -hmm. So it is effectively the last working day. Yeah. Nobody does anything on a Friday. Not so much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not that Friday. <laughs> so this is the closest that it gets. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, so we are missing a few faces because they've already gone on leave. Yes. But you can't have everybody in the room. But no. you know, and, and this year, of course, we'll have a large number of hotels, contract caterers, True. visitor attractions, yeah. cafe grab and go. So the diversity of membership has increased significantly, and it, it's been really. Um, humbling to have a large number of companies who've joined because we've come together yeah so we have had some big wins this year where we've we've attracted members who've never been members before yeah. you know youngs center parks pret companies that have not joined either yeah. are suddenly seeing that it it's a real value to be together being part of it mm. that's great i think that's going to be amazing i'm very very much looking forward to it <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice try on getting the the name of the speaker though oh i really want to know i just i just because i'm so music and comedy are my two yeah. things um so yeah anyway we'll see we'll see i'll maybe send you a few suggestions or bets okay and see how we get one and i'll tickle it out of stretton one of the two <laughs> <laughs> i'm not even sure he knows <laughs> right, no, yeah because <laughs> you know we're, we're doing a drunk podcast i saw yes. three marks three marks three wise marks yeah um, so yeah it's in a couple of weeks so yeah, yeah. so um well if you need some hospitality to sustain <laughs> you throughout it i'll happily provide yes it. that'd be great well i'll give you a shout for that um so then getting into uk hospitality then What's your sort of vision, of, you know, in terms of, you know, what would you say to people when they're, you know, why they should be joining and what you're setting out to be? Yeah. So, I mean, when I was coming on the podcast, I was thinking actually that a lot of what we do is very similar to marketing uh -huh. and is very similar to the kind of disciplines that you look at when you're when you, you're doing that, that marketing um, activity. So when I took over... I was very clear that, yes, we had to be a good campaigning voice, but that was not the only thing we had to be. Mm -hmm. And the most important thing that we did as a job was to promote the reputation of the sector as a great place to work, a great place to invest, a place that people can grow either their business or themselves yeah. personally. But it's about promoting the reputation of the sector. Um, and the other side of that is a, is a good corporate citizen. So in marketing terms, it's quite challenging because mm -hmm. you've got um, three different distinct audiences that you need mm -hmm. to hear that message and you're going to be splitting it, but you need to make sure you've got a consistent, cohesive message that unites everybody. Yeah. So, you know, whether that's customers, potential employees, employees, media, politicians, etc. Yeah. Um, the second one then is, is that really strong campaigning voice, mm -hmm. making sure that we're really focused on the commercial issues that matter to the bottom line. Yeah. At the moment, that's particularly around driving down costs, mm -hmm. But it could be about promoting opportunities or it could be uh, looking for changing the legislation in a, in a deregulatory way. Not at the present moment in yeah. time because Brexit's sucking all that oxygen, but down pressure on costs. And then the third bit, which is really important, is uh, about making sure you've got value added membership services. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so you've got three core reasons as to why somebody might want to join. Mm-hmm. Um, and those membership services, are, they're still a work in progress. Yeah. But it's about making sure that people have a friendly support network of experts Mm -hmm. and it's an ethos that we had at the start in ALMR was that if we didn't know the answer to a question within my team we knew a person who could and we would leverage all the vital supplier associate members who are in the association to Mm -hmm. give people either discounted services Mm -hmm. or the benefit of free advice Um, and so we're developing that suite of services that members can access that gives them something tangible. I think it sounds really good and I think that third one is so interesting because when you know we were starting our small business you know when we were we were starting the agency it was really handy to have there was quite a few um sort of low subscription things where you'd go to and it was like right what's your supplier NDA template what's your so I yeah. think that's a superb idea yeah. to have those kind of and things and it, it in goes back to your question about how do you get the rest of the people to join in yeah. for those independents they've got to see a return on their investment yeah. um, and it, it's great that we can talk about business rates and all that kind of stuff mm. but they need something tangible that says for my X amount of pounds this is what I've got legal helplines templates for contracts employment law issues and support Um, so it's really making sure that we've got all of those nailed down so we can go out but those three components protect promote prevent I think that's brilliant. Again, back to your peas. <laughs> <laughs> There's a pizza and pints in there. Yeah, somewhere. there is. Um, there is. Maybe but, I'm a frustrated marketer. <laughs> maybe, God, aren't we all? Um, but I think um, I, I think that development part, of the promote part, is just really interesting as well. You know, in terms of you know sort of e-learning and getting people like digital savvy. Because I, I, you know, I think I commented on something the other week. I can't remember what it was, but anyway. What they were saying was, you know, when you open a, a, a oh, I know what it was. I saw a thing on the news, I ended up talking about it, was, I think it was Adnams or something. Uh, yeah, it was in Southwold High Street. Okay. And uh, a small baker's had opened and already the, the, the lady was, sort of, you know, just a bit kind of moaning about my rates are going up and all And you're like, well, they are. and But that's something you can't directly control. Mm. So my thought was, you've went into this with your eyes closed a little bit in mm. the sense of, I don't think you can just run a shop anymore or just run a restaurant anymore. Or I think you need to be looking at, you know, all the verticals round about. Yeah. So what's your e-com strategy and what's your social media strategy to drive sales and what, what are all the, you know, all these other things. Um, but yeah, just... just any you know help training advice you know on that yeah. stuff like, it would be amazing for these people well that's the kind of thing you know? we're moving towards yeah. and working with some partners who can deliver that as Brilliant. well because i think you know back to the government's productivity point one of the things that we don't do as well in this in the independent side of the business is is really giving people the training to manage and giving the the training to lead yes and i think that would help as well as the digital skills because yeah. there's a lot of small businesses out there that just haven't lifted their head above the trough yeah. and looked at it and as a sector we're not very good at getting on the front foot mm. so a lot of what we want to do is to make sure that we're on the front foot talking about what we're doing and the good things that we're doing because we've got some fantastic initiatives oh, whether yeah, that's sure. recycling disability lgbt mm-hmm. there's lots and lots of positive charters that are out there or initiatives that individual workers uh, employers have done we don't group them together and say this is what it's good looks like when you're an employer yeah and this is what you should expect and this is why we're good and mm. this is what we invest back in our community so whether it's talking about csr or employment or regeneration or good corporate citizen yeah. if we were just on the front foot a little bit more when government got some of the negative messages whether that's from the unions about tips or it's about somebody talking about food waste or whatever or calories, then they might be prepared to push back on our behalf. And that's Mm. what the supermarkets have been really clever at doing over the last 15, 20 years. And we've been playing catch up. Yeah. And and it's something, funnily enough, I've just done another podcast this morning and that was something we were talking about was how can we act as the hospitality industry? How can we act as e-tailers? I know it's a wanky phrase, rubber, but you know, it's just, you know, but how can we look at that? So start with digital first in mind, you know, yeah. as if you are MS Next, River Island, ASOS, you know, name your thing, Amazon, you know, but flipping it on its head slightly 
and yeah. actually sitting down and saying, right, I know we've got a restaurant, I know we've got, but what about where the real eyes and ears and clicks are? Yes. First. And because and that, that's back? how are we going to attract, if you talk to any operator, their, their first question is, how are we going to attract the workforce of the future? Yeah. And how are we going to attract the customers of the future? Because mm. we know that, particularly in certain parts of the sector, mm. people come out later or, um, you know, pub goers are getting older and young people don't find it as much. To me, they're two sides of the same coin. The yeah. reason that you're not attracting the younger people in is that they're not coming into the outlets where they think of as, as being good quality or, or good aspirational. Yeah. And you've got to be thinking about the way the 13 to 16-year-olds are thinking about accessing your brand. Yeah. And they are quite brand conscious, mm-hmm. even if it's an anti-brand. Yeah. You know, if they are sort of slightly independent yeah. and go for the anything but the brand... They're either into Nando's or, you know, Wagamama or whatever the brand is, or they want the anti-establishment version of it because it's independent. But, uh, you know, I've got a 13-year-old and a 16-year-old, so I find it quite interesting. They they love Deliveroo. Mm-hmm. It never replaces eating out. They mm-hmm. love eating out. They particularly love walking down a high street and asking if I know the person who owns that premises. <laughs> um, but... My 16-year-old, if we turn up in a new city and we don't know where we're going and she wants to know where to go out to eat, her first thing to do is to go on Deliveroo. She doesn't deliver to the hotel yet, um, but that's how she gauges where it is. Mm -hmm. Is that brand online? And I don't think brands are thinking that way. And the other thing that people are not thinking about is is voice technology. You know, for the 13 to 16-year-olds, they ask Alexa. Mm-hmm. all the time and unless you've got something that is logging on and making sure that you've got that recommendation then Alexa is just going to pull it from whoever is paying Google the most yeah so I mean we've talked about voice on this podcast quite a bit and it's exciting I mm. think and so there's a few bits to it I believe certainly in the US if it's not the UK I think some of Alexa stuff's coming from Yelp, weirdly. Yeah. Um, and then actually when it's coming through so it's weird. We are beating ourselves up for not being voiced, but actually Alexa's not the full package yet, which no. is quite it's super. But we interesting. need to be we need to be ahead uh, of least, that. Yeah. So many times the restaurant sector in particular talks about Oh, you know, how how did Deliveroo happen? Well, we let it happen. Mm. We let somebody else develop a technology and they were ahead of us. Yep. And they were then ahead of our customers. Yep. And that's where I think you've got the potential to do yep. something different with voice. And also you've still got restaurateurs who are bemoaning TripAdvisor. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way, you know, and, and hotels will bemoan yeah. online travel agents as yep. well. And yes, there's a lot of abuse on there. Mm-hmm. And yes, those companies don't take full responsibility. Mm-hmm. But... That's what's going to drive all of that content that's coming through on voice. And so you've got to be with it and you've yeah. got to be engaged in it. So I I don't get this at all. You know, so it's been the last few podcasts we've talked about, but trip people saying, I don't read TripAdvisor. You're like, are you out of your mind? You can be as arrogant and ego driven as you like, but some truth's on there. Yeah. And if someone thinks you smell, it would be quite good if you knew about it and you didn't. You're you trying know to I mean? tell me something. No, not at all. <laughs> I think there is a, yeah, there's a glade in here somewhere. But uh, but so there's that part of things I think's incredible. I know there's, you know, some people are doing well and they don't need to and whatnot or whatever. But I just, I question that. I think the voice thing, I think you're right. I think there's a chance for people to leapfrog this. Yeah. And it's not that you don't take care of everything else, but you could start looking at it. So for example, you know, you're talking about attracting and recruiting and you know retaining as well the best talent. So thoughts are: Can you use voice to, you know, be the first people that yeah. you can hire? You can get a job yeah. through Alexa. And also, you know? when they are there coming into your premises as a customer, what are you doing to promote the kind of messages they need to hear yeah. as a young millennial? Yeah. Because lots of them haven't worked out where they want to work, mm-hmm. but they, you're not. Sh- we're not showing them anything necessarily. Yeah to showcase us at our best. And, and you know, I, I, we focused for a lot of the time on the solutions that we have in place for taking people who the formal education system has left behind or failed, yeah. which is great. But I actually want to get us to the next stage where we're appealing to those aspirational 16-year-olds, like yeah. my daughter, not to say don't go to university, which is yeah. part of the message at the moment, but to say when you come out of it, university this is where you can go this is yeah. the breadth of experience we've got in hospitality because yeah. guarantee you'll have more fun and you can get high young 
absolutely, as well, absolutely. You know? you know, you can rapidly yeah. start. So, I was talking to somebody yesterday whose um, whose son is a very high IQ but slightly autistic. Uh-huh. Um, doesn't want to go um, to university, uh-huh. even though he could. And I, I said to her, well, have you not thought about hospitality? Because within two years, he could be a manager and he could be running his own restaurant yeah. and running his own business or a hotel GM. Yeah. And that's what we need to be focusing on is those aspirational yeah. young people. And we yeah. forget that when they're our customer, they're also our potential employee. Definitely. And, uh, you know, I, and I think I would really implore, you know, anyone to like get in touch with you to then help promote this perception yeah because we're getting a lot of calls at the moment for employee engagement and it's part of my old life um so i did it you know last night they're calling Bartley card and a few other places and you know it's it's kind of coming back round again because of everything that's happening it is and and it's partly the pressure of brexit and the pressure yeah. that that is yeah. but yeah if anybody feels passionately about it then we we've just won the first round in getting government sector deal recognition so mm. sector deal is part of the industrial strategy it's the government backing sectors of the economy that it thinks are jobs of the future future economic growth. Yeah. So if we secure it and mm. we, we win it, that will be government backing us and giving a big thumbs up to hospitality and giving us the credibility that we've never had before. So mm. everything that we've asked for um, in terms of, of recognition, reward, appreciation, it will also be a huge stick that we can come back to them to say, well, okay, you recognise us as a future yeah. economic leader, but you're hampering us with all of these red tape and taxes, etc. Yeah. So it's a big win-win for the industry. A large part of that sector deal will be government backing a national recruitment campaign that we will be leading as employers mm-hmm. to go out to young people and to promote us as a career of choice. Yeah. And the Scottish government's also agreed that they will back us as a career of choice. So if you've got government saying this is a great place to have a career, yeah. you know, we need employers to make that happen mm-hmm. and work with us. And another part of it will be skills and upskilling people. Yeah. So we will have a three-year plan launched next year touch wood if government endorses it that takes us forward and drives us forward and does what we've been talking about for so long Mm -hmm. but have not delivered which is to change the perception of the sector it's huge and i think it's that mum and dad part yeah um and we spoke to jonathan from red condition hotels the the other week on the podcast and he was saying he went to like a school fair yeah and basically you know his desk was empty and everyone was at the stockbrokers whatever but yeah, I mean, I think it will take some time, but I think, you know, we we could crack it together. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think it's all of us sort of pushing, because although I'm not in proper hospitality, I suppose, you know, we've landed the business in hospitality. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and that's part of it. There's 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 the main part, there's there's augmented parts, there's, you know, vertical bit. There's, da, da, yeah. You know, so I think there's so much possibility. But as you said, you, you worked at Yosushi. Mm. Now, if you said to people in mums and dads mm-hmm. working at Yosushi, they will think of basic level. They, if they think skilled, they'll think of the skill, the fish filleting yeah, skills. Yeah, wasn't so good at that. No, no lots none of, of us blue are. plasters. But you know, there is more to Yosushi than just the serving and the cooking, yeah. and that's what we need to communicate. It's mm-hmm. a bit like that. Do you remember that army campaign? Yes. Where they would do the, you know, you can be this, you can be that, mm. and we need to talk about marketing, um, accountancy web design if you think about what's happening in the digital space in hospitality if you're a a graphic designer you should be working in hospitality um builders and i had that conversation with um department of work and pensions where they said well we'll do hospitality week yeah um and then we've got all these other weeks of other other careers and i said Mm -hmm. well why are you not promoting hospitality in all those other bits of the careers because you can do all of those jobs in hospitality yeah and there's you know sexy stuff too like being a brewer and yeah. being a, a coffee roaster and, and, and international opportunities are so big, yeah. you know, the hotel stuff. And I think you've even got to, you know, just watch, I think, the Corinthia doing a great job, yeah. you know, getting on TV and, and doing that stuff. Yeah, well, somebody said to me, as part of this sector deal, should we not be doing our own TV adverts? It's For like, sure. really? But, but what could you have better than you know the the fantastic hotel programs and the chef yeah. programs you've got no, more than anything master chef the professionals you've got the corinthia you've got all of yeah. those that are promoting what we do it's yeah. just taking it to the next level um, but i think it's taking that content and then maybe not tv as such in, in terms of traditional sense because the people you're trying to attract aren't there um but 
making content and TV shows and TV ads type thing and putting it online. So, yeah. for example, you would have a you know a weekly thing where it's you know even even like lateral stuff like undercover boss. Yes. You know, it just helps that thing. So I think there's a definitely a content play. There is. Um, and I think it's about, you know, topping and tailing it. So for everyone that views the Corinthia TV show, how could you then get to those viewers? So yes. if it's on the BBC, so I initially went, oh yeah, we could top and tail it if it's on ITV. Of course it's BBC. So how could you then... So everyone that likes... You know, that on, you know, or comments on it in Facebook, you could then hit them up. You know, there's there's all these different things. Yeah. What I was surprised at, and I hope they don't mind me saying, is um, they haven't posted about it at all on their digital channels. Have they not? Well, certainly not on Insta. I would have thought they would have. So, uh, I maybe might be missing not, something. Maybe they're not thinking of it as the target market. <sighs> That's the thing, you see, that yeah. goes back to... What are you doing your social media for? And I think a lot of brands think of that, about this. They are communicating to the people they want to come into their premises and mm. be their consumers. So they're possibly at the hotel thinking that the kind of clients they want to attract are not the ones that are watching the television programme or on Instagram. That, but yeah. you're forgetting that you've got this whole other audience that's looking at what you're doing. Well, again, it could be turned into a recruitment campaign. It could be turned... Because if you saw the wee fella that was 16... And he goes out and he's in the Jaguar and he's feeling all cool when yeah. he's going to Harrods to pick up a, what is it, a Tom Ford suit or whatever. And yeah, I I just questioned that bit. And also, I would like to think that on someone like Insta or social in general, I, I think there's still a chance, just the market in me, there's still a chance that someone would aspire to, because some of that audience is going to see the Corinthia and go for a meal at Kerridge's. Some of that yeah. audience is going to go along sure. and have afternoon tea. Some of the audiences maybe going to have a big occasion and want that room with the pink balloons. Yeah, you know, that, I, I agree with you. you know? They're missing out on it. Yeah, but I think it is. Unless I've read it wrong, but I looked through and I was like, I don't see anything about a TV show on here. I was like, hmm. I mean, even if you did it in a more classy way, where yes. you know it's some good clips of you know who's there or even just show around the thing. I mean, there was a clip talking about beautiful bedrooms and all this stuff. Was that so, the one with the housekeeper? Yeah. I, I just thought that was amazing. Yeah. You know, her quote about, I came to this country yeah. and it, this hotel has given me a job, it's yeah. given me a life, it's embraced me. And you think that's what our mm. sector does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're all unsung heroes. So it's nice to see them getting some recognition, yeah. but we need to push that out. So this is what we want to work on for the next year is this multimedia focus that yeah. you're talking. It's talking to consumers. It's talking to the general public. Mm. It's just that general education piece. So we broaden people's minds. And I think it's probably laying out like a millennial campaign, centennial campaign, and then starting to turn minds to Jenny which yeah. is, you know, even not kind of almost here yet. But, you know, just looking at that, and I met a wonderful chap the other day, I think he's going to come on this at some point, and he was the world's, if not Europe's, youngest CEO ever. And he's he was 13, he's now 18. Wow. And his name is Brandon Ralph, and he was at a TEDx thing, and he was speaking, he was at Brighton one, which is like the, the sort of biggest TEDx, I think, certainly in Europe. So anyway, chatting away, telling his story and all this. So he sold the company and he's bought it back. Now he's doing all these things, but he's positioning himself as like the foremost speaker and person yeah. for um, Centennial. Yeah, yeah, for Centennial. So quite interesting. Yeah. Quite interesting. But it's those kind of minds that I guess we all need to work with to hack we do, and we need to. Future, we need know? to. We need to sit inside their brains and yeah, understand yeah. what motivates them. Because too much of when we talk about careers in the sector, too much of it is around the negative, yeah. and it's long hours, or it's hard work, or mm. you're on your feet, or people are shouting at you mm. if you get the perception of what the kitchen is like. Yeah. Rather than it can be flexible, mm -hmm. you can have a, a multiple career, which yeah. is what a lot of millennials and 
centennials are looking yeah. for, plurality. Yeah. We tend to think of plurality as being the, the Robin Rowlands of this world mm-hmm. who've, who've got to a certain stage and then go plural. Yeah, yeah. Um, but actually, the younger generation God, are I wanting I thought for that. a moment you were going to say there's two Robin Rowlands. No. Oh. No, sorry. Sorry one to was, disappoint one, you. One was loads. <laughs> one has got enough energy for two. Oh my God, he's but, quite a man. But you know, they want to be able to do the, the vlogging and the, yeah. the artistic side and creative side and have a career at the same time we offer that you know back to your point about how quickly can you rise up through the ranks we need to talk to them about how young you can be to be in charge of your own restaurant and what you can earn yeah because you know within a couple of years at early 20s you can be earning more than a teacher solicitor uh talk about the cars that you drive talk Mm. about the holidays that people have gone on yeah the insta life that's what they're looking for yeah that's what they're looking for. They want was it the Joneses? As Gary Vaynerchuk talks yeah, about keeping up with exactly. the Joneses. Doing that whole thing. Um so in terms of sector challenges, well we've covered quite a few, but mm. what's going on with you? What you what's the main challenges that you're focusing on at the moment? Brexit is dominating everything sure. else. Um at the current moment in time. It is the most intense thing. Um and When will it go? When will it die? <laughs> It's like a horror never, movie. Yeah. Never. It, it, it is Hotel California. Yes. That's how it feels. Um, and back to the start of my career, when I was in the European Parliament, I was doing the Maastricht negotiations. So mm. I feel as I've come full circle slightly. Um, so, I mean, at the moment, the intense focus is on the immigration policy mm-hmm. um, and, and how that just doesn't work for hospitality. It doesn't work for lots of companies in lots of sectors. But a 30k cap and a, a focus on high skills versus low skills just isn't going to work mm. for our sector post-Brexit. So yep. that's the big focus of activity. Um, at, at, at the same time as talking about what does the deal look like, the government's deal? Is it a good deal? Is it a bad deal? Um, or And what do we do about no deal? So yes. an awful lot of time at the moment is spent no deal contingency planning. So it's eating up management time. Yeah. It's eating up um, any headspace, both in the government and in business, yeah. for something that may never come about, hopefully, touch wood. Yeah. Um, but if it came about, it would be catastrophic. Mm. Yeah, it's worrying times, and even as a, a bystander, really. I mean, in terms of me, you, you know, you're just thinking, it, it, yeah, no, just no one's happy. Yeah, but it, you know, I always want to look for silver linings. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a real testament to the power of coming together and creating UK hospitality. That you know, last week my diary was completely trashed. Mm-hmm. I was in Downing Street three times. Saw your post with the Prime Minister <laughs> and the Chancellor. Then I was in with um, Michael Gove. Um, one of my team was in with the Prime Minister's officials and had a phone call from Michael Gove saying we've got to have UK hospitality at the meeting. So you know, you know all of those kind of things. So I think. Three times in Downing Street, I met five um, secretaries of state cabinet ministers and 10 junior ministers last week Mm. with them coming to us to ask for solutions and ask for input. And, you know, that really is a testament to how crucial and integral the the industry has made itself Mm. into government policy and government thinking that, you know, previously, I think if we'd been talking about it, we would have been you know rattling the gates of Downing Street and saying please can we come in and talk to you because we think we're important mm. and we would have had an answer back that we don't think you're important necessarily um so you know that is a, a testament to how far we've come in a relatively short period of time in getting mm. the industry recognized and name checked yeah. um as one of the industries that is at the forefront of grappling with this challenge it, I mean, it, it sounds great. I mean, it must like, as, a, as a KPI, you know, like you know, as you sitting, you know, X many years ago, you know, that was yeah. probably one of the boxes yeah. you were wanting to yeah. tick. I'd really rather know? we weren't going in when it's such cat- potentially yeah. catastrophic news. That's the problem. Um, but hopefully, we can get there and, and turn it around and make sure that it's all right so that the industry i mean we are a very resilient industry it, mm. it's um something that we are known for within government we're known to be pragmatic as well and we're known to be able to continue to roll with it and, and try and do our best so you know sometimes that plays against us but in these cases it's powering on through and trying to make sure we deliver yeah and then just on a personal note do you do you not get worried meeting like these government politicians and stuff because they're kind <laughs> Am of I they're, intimidated you know, they're, by they're them. the rock stars of your world aren't they a little bit i don't know S- slightly but it, it's quite interesting that 
they get starstruck by some of the people that are every day in our world. Okay. So, you know, they quite like meeting leading CEOs and big figures. Okay. And, you know, they see them as quite important. Uh-huh. But also, I suppose, because I've been doing it since I was 21, I'm not really that starstruck by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably the, the moment, everybody has that kind of moment. My mum was a teacher and she mm-hmm. said she used to think that headmasters were, you know, a cut above and then my dad became a headmaster and she realised they were just normal she also then said to me the same thing about you said you know I used to think that people who got into Cambridge must be somebody totally different from our mindset and then you got in and I realised it's just ordinary (laughs) cheers mum thanks Um, but I was at university with Andy Burnham right um, who and it's when you've got somebody who was your contemporary who you knew was just a normal, everyday, really nice bloke, and they become a cabinet minister or yeah. they become the mayor, yeah. then you just realise they're just normal people yeah. and they're trying their best. I don't think there's many politicians who have an ulterior motive. There are some. Yeah. But most of them are just trying their best to do the right thing mm-hmm. with a limited amount of understanding and they're reliant upon us as industry to go in and explain to them what it means in practice. And yeah. we can you know, complain to our heart's content about how they should really understand things more. Yeah. But, you know, we, we all understand our own world and yeah. we've got to explain. And it's sometimes they just don't get it about commerce and business in general yeah. or our in sector in particular, but we've just got to redouble our efforts. Yeah. I mean, I think, oh, actually, I think at my school, one of the boys, I think he's in the House of Lords now. I think he became a CBE or something yeah. like this. Yeah, yeah. From, like, from a rig working class we yeah yeah you know so yeah he's the real but um but yeah i think i think on on that note you know in terms of doubling the efforts i always see it like football in terms of if the ref's given a penalty a lot of the time there's not much you can do about it but the odd time you know and i think the advantage you've got is that you you know it is that debating society in terms of you can put your points forward and hopefully over time that'll etch away And and again, you know, when you come together as a a big group, you've got some pretty impressive business people Mm. around our table that they do want to meet. You know, that might be Fred from First Dates, uh, Galvin at Windows, or, you know, um, the West One Hotel Group. You know, there's a group of the hoteliers that get together Mm. and and that I was more intimidated by that than I was about going in and meeting the politicians because politicians are my world. But, you know, when you go and meet Mr. Goring and the the person who runs the Ritz and these Mm. are big, important people. And when I took the minister to go and have lunch with them for the first time. He was more overwhelmed by that than yeah. they were about meeting a minister. Yeah. Um, so it's all relative. Yeah. No, I suppose you're right. I just always. I get, get a bit more nervous. excited now about you know I'm suddenly going into the Dorchester or yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know those kind of places that yeah. you don't normally get to go to or yeah. secret bits in the Shard. Yeah. Oh, I haven't been up the Shard yet. I need to do that. You should do that, that. Yeah. definitely. Need to get that sorted out. Um, so just before I let you go, because I know you're super busy, um, there was a couple of fun things on so the branding of hospitality. In the UK, so you know, in TV and things like that. So, million pound menu, yes, and our million million pound menu, yes, million, million pound, pound menu. Is it? Uh, first day, smash You know, I, I think you know, and the Corinthia program again. We're getting good support, aren't we? You know, it's it's feeling we sexy. are, we are. It, yeah. it it it. I don't think we've ever had such a good profile on television mm-hmm. as we've had at this moment in time. And actually the programmes are all focused on the skills. Yeah. You know, that whether they're the soft skills of yeah. hospitality and how it's done yeah. or the sharp skills of the chefs, you know, these are people at the top of their game. Yeah. Um, and that the Giles Corrin and the Monica programme where they go to the yes. best hotels in the world. That was you fun. Know, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's a great show of where you can go mm-hmm. if you are the person sitting in your bedroom and you're not quite sure what to do with your life and you look the television is giving you examples better than any of us could yeah. about the opportunities that hospitality can give you yeah. and that's what we've just got to keep we've got to pull it all together we've got to distill it so that we've yeah. got a core message and then every single person who works in hospitality needs to be equipped to go out and sell it yeah. we've got three million ambassadors in our sector mm-hmm. together we can make a real difference to the way we are perceived yeah i think you know you're right that that one campaign yeah you know it's almost that be the best or whatever yeah. it was with the, with the navy and the army and all that jazz 
Yeah, I think there's definitely something needs happening. Yeah. There. That'd be an exciting brief. Yeah. That'd be cool. Oh, we'll come back and talk to you then. <laughs> yeah, give us a shoot. <laughs> give us a shoot. Um, yeah, and then, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think, well, you know, we've managed to cover the B word. Yeah, skate over it. <laughs> and we've done the history bit, we've done the sector bit and the rest of it. I guess the, the last thing I would sort of say is, you know, what advice would you give to people, you know, maybe starting out in the sector, but maybe who are finding it a bit tough as well? You know, what, what would you say to them to give them some help and inspiration? If they're on the business side, I would say join a trade association. Mm-hmm. I know I would say that, no, no. but it's it's quite lonely running your own business Mm -hmm. and being on your own. And there's no need for anybody to be on their own and to be struggling. There's somebody who will have invented that wheel before you and will have found the mistakes Mm -hmm. um, so you can learn from it. If you're an individual working in the sector, I think it's, again, you know, there are lots of places out there for finding useful information and advice. Mm -hmm. There's mentoring programmes that we've just set up. Mm -hmm. Um, The one we've set up is particularly to do with women who are looking to make a a progress. But there are also some fantastic programmes for women returners, for young people who want mentoring. Mm -hmm. Get that kind of advice and support from somebody else nobody needs to be on their own in this sector and Mm -hmm. the thing that differentiates hospitality from every other business sector that I've worked with we are so much more open collaborative and supportive yes than anywhere else when I've looked at retail when I've looked at manufacturing um house building etc they don't cooperate we share and everybody that you can approach usually is really quite friendly and if you pick up the phone to anybody and ask for help somebody Mm. is going to give it to you whether that's jonathan downey who's going to help because you street food or something like that um or one of the the other companies but there's there's loads of help and support out there so go and access it find people talk to them we're a people industry well, I, I think I can definitely back that up. You know, I worked in travel and banking and all these things. Yeah. And, ne- and it's what made me stay here yeah. was the friendliness and the openness. Yeah. And we were all in it to help get people to eat and drink out. Yeah. Basically, and stay, obviously. Uh, but our biggest competition is not ourselves. No. It's the sofa. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's why, you know, people talk about Deliveroo or talk about Airbnb. Actually, those those are gateways for people mm-hmm. to come into hospitality and to start because eventually yeah. they'll trade up yeah. um, and it gets them into the habit of doing something else mm-hmm. and, and going out. And that's what I say, you know, if they eat in Café Rouge one day, they're going to eat in Pizza Express the next or Nyo Sushi. Yeah. So it, it, it all goes around. Mm-hmm. We all share it. So yeah. we might as well cooperate and collaborate to make the high street and the customer experience a better yeah. um, experience and actually we don't sell products we sell experiences and Mm -hmm. so that's the point of difference is your people or how you train them your culture and the way that they engage with you and that's what makes people come back and it's what makes people choose you rather than somebody else so we don't have to compete yeah no i think you're absolutely right so you're saying the war is against dfs Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Destroying all those sofas. <laughs> okay. Well, Kate, listen, thanks so much for coming in. Thank today. you for having me. It's um, been a it's pleasure. Been fascinating. And yeah, I wish you well for 2019 Thank and beyond. You. Thank you. And I'll see you at Christmas lunch. You will. I'll be there. Excellent. Thanks, Kate. Take care.